So good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is everybody well caffeinated today? Anybody on their like fourth cup? Anybody? Third cup, maybe? Okay, we have one in the back over on the side. We know, we know you, Dave. You're always well caffeinated. But um, just welcome. I hope you guys have had a good week. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. And um, it's a blessing to be here and to serve and to share God's word um, with you on a pretty much a weekly basis here. And we have a great church, lots of amazing stuff that God is doing um, in small places, in big places, and everywhere in between. Um, so I, those of you who know me, if you don't know me, that's okay. But um, I, I have spoken before of um, an area in life that I have a lack of a gifting um, and that place um, I've spoken about before is my lack of gifting in growing plants and anything green. I don't know if anybody else would call themselves maybe a black thumb in that way. I don't necessarily kill things. I just forget about them. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing. But um, anyway, I, I used to have um, uh, four plants um, at home and in my office here at the church. Um, now I'm down to three. I'm sorry, Dawn Spangler, the plant you gave me is now not, no longer. Um, but, and you should not gift me plants, by the way. Um, but, but even like coming from a biology background, that was what I was doing before I started as, in ministry as a pastor. Um, I, I still tend to forget the three things that plants need. Now think back, whether you're in school now or maybe back to your Classes back in high school, whatever. What are the three things that plants need? Okay, water, sunlight, and? Yes, and air. Yes, yes, very good. Ding, 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 ding. Um, and it doesn't work if you only remember two of the three. <laughs> um, well, just uh, about like a month, I think it was about a month ago, um, someone, um, Pam Hockenbrock, gifted a, um, a plant, actually a, a seedling thing, I don't even know if it's a seedling, a bulb thing, of an amaryllis. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those things. Um, she gifted this thing to the church office. Mind you, not the church pastor, but to the church office, um, that we would have one in our space and um, allow it to bloom. So thankfully, I have an awesome office administrator, Sherilyn, who um, knows what to do with these things and does not kill them. So she put them on the little desk you see right there on the corner by the light. And this thing like loves that spot. And only she waters it as well, um, which I would forget to do. But it had, at some point, it had like 10 flowers on the thing. It was just like huge, like, you know, and it grew in a matter of weeks. It was just amazing. Um, and it was interesting, though, but that, it needed that spot there by the window because the light is what really literally brought it to life. Like, had we stuck it in the back office or in the closet or, like, like even watering it probably wouldn't do that. The light was what literally brought it to life. It was happy in that little spot. Well, we're in the second week of our Lenten sermon series called, that we're called Who is Jesus? And, um, and we said last week, but basically what we're doing in this series leading up to Easter, so Lent is the 40 days that lead up to um, Easter where we prepare ourselves, we prepare our hearts um, for the resurrection, and we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. But we said last week that, that part of this series is that we're studying what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John. 
that there's lots and lots of theories and things that you can say, well, who is Jesus? You know, is he a prophet? Was he just a good man? Was he actually the son of God? Well, we're looking about what Jesus says about himself in one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking at the Gospel of John. And Jesus, basically the, the premise of this is that Jesus shows us what God is like. That's the kind of premise of the, 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 this message series. And, and we focused last week on this um, one verse. It was a whole bunch of verses, one through three. But in verse three um, in the book of Hebrews, we see that the author of Hebrews says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, the exact representation of his being. This is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, so when we know more about who Jesus is, then we get to know who God is, what God is like, what God values, what God's character is. Um, and so, so in the Gospel of John, we're, we're studying over these next weeks, these basically, they're called I am statements. So because they start with the words I am. So there's seven statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus makes about himself, starting with I am, and, and then he compares himself to, to something. He makes a very grand statement. And, and so the words I am refer to back to the Old Testament story of Moses and the burning bush and how God revealed himself and gave his name as being I am. And so Jesus is kind of connecting that idea, making a very bold statement that, yes, he is God. But then he also adds a second part of it, and that's what we're kind of looking at. Last week we looked at Jesus where he says, I am the bread of life, and we talked about what that means, about how Jesus is the one who gives us daily what we need, and he fills us not temporarily, but permanently. He nourishes us in this life, but now eternity starts now, and he nourishes us now, and he opens the doors of eternity to us. But here today, we're going to look at a second image that Jesus uses to describe himself. And um, before I read the scripture, it's also printed in your worship guide too, if you want to follow along, um, I want to give you the, the, uh, a context, the image of the context of where Jesus says this in John chapter, nine, in John chapter 8, um, because that's really the big idea here. If you don't understand where this is taking place, it's kind of like a nice thing for somebody to say or for Jesus to say, but you, it brings so much more power to it when you can understand. And so the scripture, the, the statement that Jesus makes here, it, it basically it's taking place in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem during a festival called the Festival of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot. And, um, and basically, Sukkot is, is like a fall harvest festival without the pumpkins and the hayrides in some way, um, but it's a festival in Jerusalem, and it's a pilgrimage festival, meaning that people from all over would come to Jerusalem to stay for that time and to be able to celebrate the festival. And so Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's teaching in the temple. There's lots of things before this chapter, before these verses, that he's teaching there. But he's teaching in the temple. But it's also part of this festival was a very special ceremony called the illumination of the temple. There was a special time called the illumination of the temple. And part of that celebration in this, this special event was that there would be these four lampstands in the temple, as you can kind of see in that illustration. And, and they were somewhere about 75 feet tall. And these four lampstands would be lit on fire. And, and you can imagine, you have this, this picture, like these huge lamps are lit, casting light across the entire temple. 
And, and, and during this time, too, there's other lights that are lit all throughout the city. So basically, the city of Jerusalem is a glow, is cast in light everywhere. It's kind of more than Christmas, right? More than National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Clark Griswold lighting up his entire house. This is like all candles and lights and lamps lit everywhere. There's not a spot in Jerusalem that is not covered in light. And so you get the picture here. And Jesus, Jesus is teaching here in the temple. And this is what he says. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So imagine this. Stop and just, just picture for a second. Just picture in your head what is happening here with these giant lamps that are lit in the temple, glowing from the sky. It's a striking image. There's, there's light everywhere to symbolize God's presence and his light that casts everywhere. But let's look, let's look deeper at what it means here when Jesus makes this very, very powerful claim that he is the light of the world. See, like many things in John, it has a very layered meaning. So there's not just one meaning here or one interpretation. There's multiple. They're layered on top of one another. And they often echo things that took place earlier in the Bible, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures. But when Jesus says he is the light of the world, I think the first thing that we need to notice is that first that Jesus, he's alluding to the fact that he is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Because you notice, Jesus is saying, I am the light of what? The world. The world. So stop there. Jesus is saying, not, I am the light of the temple. I am not just the light of the city. He says, I am the light of the world. And that would have been an astounding statement for him to make. Not only is he claiming God's name, saying, I am, but he's also claiming all the way back to God's promise to Abraham that these people would be a blessing to who? All nations in the world. He's going back to what God's promise was originally, reminding the Jews that this is not just for you. This is for the world. I am for the world. I'm for everyone. This isn't in us and them. This isn't a, okay, well, we're the the only people that God loves. No, no, no. This is, I am for the world. And it's important, too, to note something. This is really interesting. Where Jesus is standing specifically in the temple when he's saying this. Know where he's standing? He's standing in this this little spot, or not a little spot, it's a courtyard. Um, You see this on the map. So it's on, on your right side there. You see what that says? It's kind of small for you to read. It says, the court of the women or treasury. Jesus is standing with the ladies. Was a Hebrew rabbi supposed to be doing that? No. He is standing in the court of the women who were not allowed past that, believe it or not. That was their little segregated section that the Hebrew women were allowed to worship and allowed to be a part of it. He's standing with with kind of people that were women that were considered like second class, like like, men could be the priests and the holy ones. He's standing in the treasury in the court of the women. It blows your mind. Like Jesus, he's making a statement here. No, 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 I'm the light. I'm here for everyone. So so just think about that. Think about that. In the world, that means this. That first, that God is at work in the world before we are. God's at work, not necessarily showing up in places of power, but in glimmers from the margins. He's showing up in unexpected place, in unexpected people that might be considered second-rate citizens. 
in people that you wouldn't expect. See, Jesus came for the world. He came for the people that maybe you and I were told that we shouldn't care about. Or the people that, hey, we don't like, right? The noisy neighbor, the person we just, we just can't stand, the person that we consider our enemy. Jesus came even, get this, for Dallas Cowboys fans. Yeah, imagine that. Amen to that. He even came for them. But, but to think about Jesus is for everyone. The statement, he came for the world. He's the light of the world. It's not just one little group of perfect people that have it all together. Nope, not at all. Jesus is like, hey, you're broken. You're marginalized. You're over. Like, whoever you are, I came for you. I am for everyone. Jesus is the light of the world. But I think that the second thing that he's getting to here when he says this is the fact that Jesus exposes things that are hidden. So, um, but if ever you, you visit um, Jerusalem, um, I know right down there's you know, a state of war that's going on, but I had an opportunity last year to travel to Israel, and so grateful for that. And part of that experience was walking around the old city of Jerusalem. And it, it's amazing, like, you walk, there's like these little streets and alleyways, and there's people like selling stuff like everywhere. And um, they're really narrow areas that you walk to, and it's kind of like shady in the wall. So you can imagine that, that during this time, that as things were, were lit up, like there were so many dark places, normally dark places in the city that were then covered in light. You know, and there's actually, there was a writing in the time about, of Jesus um, as, uh, by an observer who saw the ceremony. And, um, and, and this writer wrote this in the first century. He said, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect the light. Can you imagine that? Just the power, even in the dark of night, that, that's just covered in light. And the light symbolizes God. That things that are normally in the dark are brought to light. And I was thinking about this. Like, how we usually think that light is a good thing. You know, isn't it nice to be able to walk around and not have a flashlight or your phone that's out, right? That light is a, is a good thing. But isn't it true, though? that light sometimes exposes things we'd rather not see? Think about that. I mean, I don't know if you've ever bought one of these. We'll put a picture of, on the screen. A magnifying mirror with the LED around it, and uh, it has things, you know, helps you put makeup on for all, for all ladies and things. But it also makes you look awful. Why? Well, it magnifies everything that's wrong. <laughs> you, see, you see things that you've never seen before. You see like every wrinkle. You see, oh my gosh, I got a little zit there. I got like this. All these things. That, and, and you see everything on your face that you've never seen and things that you never want to see. You know, and you think about like, why would anybody ever buy this? You know, I, I think I'm of the opinion that some things are just better left unseen. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> See, see, light isn't always enjoyable. Light isn't enjoyable. And, and I was thinking about how Jesus functions the same way. That earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says that part of the reason for his coming was to expose or reveal things that we often prefer to hide. See, Jesus says this in John chapter 3, starting in verse 20. He says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
See, what Jesus is getting at, that part of his coming forces us to face things that we prefer often not to. And I think here he's most specifically talking about our sin, that things that are not in line with God, things that, that are not in line with the life that God really wants for us. You know, because isn't it true that everybody and everything looks great in the dark? <laughs> the thing that with Jesus is that we, when we grow closer that he moves into more of us. You know, I want you to think about this. Like, you know, it's almost like we are a house. And that when we turn to Jesus, when the very first time we turn to Jesus, we confess our sin, we turn from the direction we were going, we say, Jesus, I, I confess you're my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. Uh, uh, that, that we're basically kind of giving Jesus the keys to our house. We're giving keys to our house. But then the problem is that even once he, he enters into our life, he enters into us, the problem is that sometimes some of us lock him in a little room in our heart. <laughs> we lock him in there, and then we bring him out when we want to, or we need some help. But, but there comes a time, and I think Jesus is getting at this, there comes a time that we don't just want Jesus in a part of our heart, in a part of our life, but we want to give Jesus the full rule of the house, and there's a risk that comes with that, right? Because when Jesus, when Jesus is given freedom to renovate, to come into any part of our lives, he's going to renovate. He's going to start by going into the dark closets. He's going to start going into every room. And how you can tell, get this, how you can tell that you are growing in your faith and you're getting closer to Jesus is that he begins showing you things in you, things that are being exposed in you. He shows, he, he shows up, and no, 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 not that, that little closet, Jesus, like, keep out of that for now. No, he goes in there, and he says, hey, I didn't know that this bitterness was here. I didn't know that, that hey, the, the, the sense of, of failure, trying to, like, prove yourself, like, that, that's here. Things that are in you, and, and, and I think even in the, the different parts of our lives, like, if your relationship, if your marriage is struggling, you'll begin to notice it even more. If, if you go resort to unhealthy habits to cope with things, you're going to see those things rise to the surface and you're going to recognize it. If you're not dealing with things that are broken, Jesus is going to expose those things even bigger. And it's hard to follow Jesus closely and not allow him to go into the depths and the spaces of our heart, even the places we don't want him to go. And what's true for us is that when we, when we let Jesus into our lives, he really doesn't let anything alone. You know, I sometimes wish that he would, truthfully, that, that sometimes I don't like what Jesus reveals in me because it, it's allowed me to, to reconsider relationships, things like pride and ambition. It, he kind of like lays those things open that he, he reveals what we're trying to fill ourselves with to fill our hole in our lives, in our hearts. We talked about that last week. That, that yeah, it might be things like alcohol, but it might be things like approval or accomplishment or being liked. That Jesus reveals things that are hiding inside of us that are not in, God, in line with what God wants. And if you want to follow Jesus, he's going to open up things where, and spaces in our lives that we harbor anger and fear and bitterness. And Jesus can't change or forgive those things which are not first exposed. You know, and friends, it's hopeful, but it's hard. It starts off especially hard. And I, truthfully, I've seen lives, I've seen many of you, people being changed when Jesus first exposes it. 
know, people that have realized that addictive behavior when they get lonely is not the option. And the light of Jesus has said, don't ignore that. Let's go get some help. Let's go see a counselor. Like, let's start going to a group. I've realized that there's been people here that have recognized that they blame everybody for everything, for everything in life. And the light of Jesus has showed, no, I need to take some responsibility here for these things. There's people that have realized that avoiding conflict or conversation, that the light of Jesus has showed that's exactly where he wants to work and enter in and bring healing. That, that the, Jesus can't address that which he does not expose first. And if we're serious about Jesus, the things that we've kept stuffed away will be exposed or revealed by Jesus as the light of the world. And that's one of the things that he means here. He wants us to recognize he will expose things that are hidden in our hearts. But also, also the fact that Jesus illuminates the way. See, he shows us the way forward. He doesn't just expose things and say, ha, good, deal with that, have fun. No, he shows us the way. He illuminates the way. And and truthfully, this idea of him as the light of the world, it points back to to the story in Exodus, part of the Hebrew scriptures. And we talk about this as part of the Jesus mentioning the bread of life last week when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, trying to wait for the promised land. They're mad with Moses because it was better back in Egypt. And, and God sends manna from heaven down to feed them, right? I said like the frosted flakes from heaven that they fed them every single day. But as they were wandering in the wilderness, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where they were going. Imagine, like they had no map, they had no GPS, they had nothing. So basically, God showed up as a pillar of fire to direct them. He showed up. God himself showed up as a pillar of fire in the sky to direct them by night. And the people in the festival at this time, they would light those torches to remember that God is the light that shows the way forward. Uh, There's a favorite psalm of mine that says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path. Maybe you might know it is that there's like a song that goes, I word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But, but what he's meaning here, Jesus is referring to the fact that the world has competing claims for us on how to live. And there's going to be lots of voices that will direct. And we talked about that in, the, in a prior series, that, that as we're navigating relationships and work and money, how we're treating people, uh, how we react and how we behave, it can be very difficult. There's lots and lots of different ways we can go. But Jesus promises, if you listen to my voice, my light will help guide you. It'll help guide you. Kind of like a a, a lighthouse, which is more of a a, kind of like a Christian symbol or has been for a while. I don't know if you know a little bit of a history of when the lighthouse started. Actually, the the first lighthouse, this is an artist's rendition of that. The first one was actually in a name. It was called Pharos. Pharos. It was built in Alexandria, Egypt, around the year 280 BC. So it's imagining like 200, 300 years before Jesus. And, and so they would basically have this, this tall structure that they would light a fire at the top. And, and guess how long this lighthouse lasted and, and cast its, its fire? 1,500 years. And it's said that people could see this lighthouse 30 miles away. And and that's why to this day, just a little fun fact here, that's why today today, um, people call people that study lighthouses pharologists. They're the first lighthouse named Pharos. But imagine that, 30 miles to see, directing your path, where the coastline is, where you're supposed to get to, 
you know, and I think Jesus does that for us. That, that we're going to doubt at times where things are, we align, you know, we might not know how it all fits together. But when we stay connected to Jesus, he makes the promise to guide us with his light. You know, I, I read that in this, in this passage we, we read a little bit ago, he, I want to remind everyone that we don't do this on our own either. Jesus promised to be with us. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, Jesus says, if you stay connected, I will help you. I will guide you. That when we take seriously Jesus' teachings, he helps guide and direct us. and helps us take the next best step to enter into the things of his kingdom, not, not the kingdom of the world, but his kingdom. And, and, and I think that to be true, that Jesus illuminates our way. But, but, but I think last and definitely not least is the fact, too, that when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's also making the bold statement that he is the source of life. He's the source of life. Because don't, don't forget, the most fundamental source of light in the Bible, if we go all the way back, Back to Genesis chapter 1, to the creation story. The very first thing that God says when he speaks in Genesis 1, verse 3, he says this. Let's read this together. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Like we said, let there be sound, and there was sound. Thank you, Nick. Let there be light, and there was light. See, light was the third, first thing that God created, made everything else possible. And at least in John, where Jesus says, he is the light of the world. He means it literally, too. Hard to wrap our brains around, but that he was there, and John describes it at this very beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Imagine that. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the light hit that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says, I am the light of the world. I was there. I was there. I am the source. Jesus is saying, I am the source of everything you see and have seen. That light, light creates conditions for things to take root and to grow. When Jesus says, I am the light, I am, he says, I am the source of life. He's saying, not that you don't need other things, not that you don't need a place to live and a car to drive or, or money in your pocket. Like, no, you do need those things. But he's saying, my life, my light comes first. Jesus came first. Jesus comes first. I was recently reading an article um, about authentic joy and kind of describing the things that bring joy in our lives. And it was interesting. There were, part of the article had this little pie chart um, where it was talking about all the things that contribute to joy, to happiness, things like relationships, super important, finances, emotional and mental health. Um, it laid out all these factors, like around eight, eight or so of them. But then it was interesting. As part of the article, it said that you can have all these things, though, and still feel like something's missing. You can have everything that you've ever wanted and still feel like something's missing. And I think that's true because having spiritual health puts other things into proper perspective. See, when Jesus is first as the source of our light and our life, Jesus gives us a healthy understanding 
of all those other things. A healthy understanding of our work and of our relationships, of rest and prayer, of health physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And I think truthfully, that's why like, things like worship are so important to start your week off. That it starts everything off because it gives perspective on what is to come. It's kind of like this is like the huddle, the rally. Then you go out and play the game, but you're ready because you were in the huddle. And, and some of us, like, you know, we've shared before, you've shared before about how like your life before Jesus, you know, your life before maybe reconnecting or recommitting to him, uh, maybe it seemed flat. But then when you started following, you know, when you let him in your house or your heart, that your life kind of like your eyes were opened, that life became 3D, like there was so much more meaning and purpose that, that you were called to more, but the light comes first. That it gives real life to everything else. And so friends, just as a plant needs lots of things, it needs fundamentally light to grow. We need Jesus' light to grow. We need the light of Jesus for a full life. That Jesus is the source of life. Why? Well, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, and it's not just for you, but it's in the places. Jesus shows up in the places and for the people you might not expect. Jesus exposes parts of us so that he can transform them and open them and get into them. And he shows us, illuminates a way forward. And he's the source of what makes life more and life fulfilling. Well, a couple of days ago, um, I woke up... Um, earlier than I usually do. And um, I just kind of like laid there. I was like wide awake. I don't know if you've had those moments before. And um, I don't know if you've noticed like the, the sun has been rising a little bit earlier and earlier and earlier as springtime nears. And then of course it'll change when the time, the clocks go back. But, um, but I, I was just like laying there and I like looked out the window and I could see just like a glow, right? Just like a glow of light, that the light was coming. The sign of a new day, a, a, a sign of a new opportunity, a sign of that today, today is a new chance at life. And today, the light of the world is a gift from the one, the very one who said he is the light of the world. And I remember laying there thinking and praying as I was reflecting on this, that how he's called us to walk in the light, to be in the light, to be illuminated by the light, but also to share it. That's my question for you today. Is Jesus the light of your world? Will you share it? Will you be a part of it? Will you allow him to transform and do what he needs to do in you? Let's pray.